Welcome to the Be Kind Podcast with your host, Joe Kirkner, presented by the Animal Advocates of South Central Pennsylvania. Welcome, everybody, to the Be Kind Podcast, part of the Animal Advocates mission to create a more compassionate world for all living creatures, whether those creatures are practicing Christians, practicing Judaism, practicing the Hindu religion, agnostic, atheist, whatever faith journey or practice they do we love them all and they all deserve to be loved and why am i talking about different spiritualities and faiths and religious backgrounds because today we are joined by tom and once again john hello everyone hey hey guys and tom as our guest today i'm going to give you the floor to start off and talk a little bit about who you are what you do with your time and your vegan journey before we start launching to some of the more in-depth questions great thank you very much and thank you so much for asking me to come and have this conversation with you. Uh, I've, been, um, I've been a Presbyterian pastor for about 21 years, and I've served 15 of those years in Baltimore City at Govins Presbyterian Church, uh, which is in the northern part of the city, and married and have a couple kids and have uh, love what I do. I was not always vegan. In fact, um, probably came to it relatively late. Um, 48, and it was about 2016. In fact, it was 2000, February of 2016 that sort of the light went on for me. Like, I think a lot of people, there were, I'd been kind of listening to vegans and considering veganism for a while. Uh, there was a lot of compelling stories and compelling testimony about the importance of veganism for animals and for the planet and for health. A couple uh, voices that were influential to me, uh, one you recently had on your show, Matthew Clay Robison and his wife, Shelly, are members at Govins Presbyterian. Uh, and they were talking to me about it and pushing me, gently pushing me and asking me some questions. Uh, and uh, so they were very influential. There was another couple in the church that was also vegan, uh, who was also influential. A couple people in the city, Brenda Sanders uh, and Kyle Harvey, who are doing amazing work with the Greener Kitchen in Baltimore City and Thrive in Baltimore City, real strong vegan advocates, especially in the African-American community. So Brenda was talking to me and, and challenging me. Uh, but it wasn't until February 2016 during a snowstorm and my family had gone out sledding and I was home alone and I was just kind of flicking through Netflix and came upon Cowspiracy. And I started watching Cowspiracy, and by the end of that documentary, I decided I wanted to be vegan. I knew that it was time. Cowspiracy does an amazing job laying out the environmental reasons for being vegan, as I'm sure you know, uh, talking about the impact of animal agriculture on the planet, the harmful impact of animal agriculture, the harmful impact of overfishing on our, in our oceans. And so I decided I, at that moment, that was it, you know, I'm going to be vegan. But what I found over the past five years has surprised me a little bit. And it's that my motivation for being vegan over that five years has shifted. Even though I became vegan for the planet, really now I'm more motivated to be vegan for the animals. I think the reason that happened is because after I decided to be vegan, I opened my eyes and my heart to what was happening to the animals. Like a lot of people today, I was 
had closed my eyes to that. I knew it was wrong. I knew there was suffering behind the meat that I was eating and the dairy and the eggs. Uh, but I just didn't want to acknowledge it. I didn't want to look at it. And so I did. But when I was vegan, I started to say, okay, you know, follow a few more vegan Instagram posts and Facebook groups and read a little bit more and start to look into it more. And, I, and that's when, I, again, my eyes, sort of the scales fell from my eyes. And I really realized the suffering that goes into any kind of animal product that's on my plate or even in my, that I wear on my body. I don't know if I would have been able, I would, could resist the things that I love, uh, the food that I love, because that was bad for the planet. I mean, even today, palm oil is terrible for the planet, but I haven't eliminated that from my diet, uh, even though I should. And I try to reduce it, but I haven't eliminated it, right? So, uh, but when I look at a hamburger now or a piece of cheese or an egg, I sort of intuitively uh, know the suffering that's behind that, and I don't want it anymore. So that's kind of where I am now. I'm, I'm vegan for the animals and for the planet, but it's the, it's the animals that, that keep me going. Yeah, that's amazing. I've heard many similar stories, and my personal view on it is the planet only really matters because there's living, feeling creatures on it. In and of itself, it really doesn't serve. It may serve a purpose. I'm not an astronomer. I don't know the grand scheme of things. But in my small little worldview, the planet only really has importance because it is home for everything, essentially. Yeah, I love that. I love that. And I mean, but we could say that, it, and we might get into this when we talk about traditional Christian ideas, that it's just for humans. And to realize that, like you're saying, it's not just for humans. It's, I think, a, a step that, that all people need to start to make. And that's a nice transition into your current work and something, a project you're working on right now that I believe MCR told us about is you're currently writing a book on veganism in the Bible. And I'm very, very anxious and curious and excited to hear about your thoughts and anything relating to veganism in the Bible, because I'm a practicing Christian myself, and there are many, many unvegan things in the Bible, but then there are also many vegan things in the Bible. So I'm, but I'm just a lay person, doesn't know what I'm talking about, read the Bible every once in a while, quote unquote, <laughs> paraphrasing a little bit. So can you talk a little bit about your book and any big ideas that have come forward through your research? Sure, I'd love to. I'm planning to take a sabbatical starting in mid-May and uh, through the summer and really want to get to work on this book that I've been studying and preparing and taking notes about but haven't had the time to write. And it's a vegan interpretation of the Bible. I think the key thing about approaching the Bible, uh, and that a lot of people don't understand, especially conservative Christians, is there's the Bible by itself doesn't say anything. The Bible has to be interpreted. We all come to the Bible with our own prejudice, our own biases, and our own agenda. And that's part of what postmodernism has done for, for biblical studies, is to say, there's not, you know, white men have been interpreting the Bible for a very long time. And all of a sudden, if we open it up to other perspectives, everybody comes at the Bible from a different place. Uh, and so one of the ways I want to try to come at it is, uh, is a, from a vegan perspective. You know, people come at it from an African-American perspective, from a, a disability perspective. Uh, you can come at the Bible from a poverty perspective. So I'm going to try and look at it from, from the vegan perspective. And you really can pick and choose in the Bible whatever you want to make it say what you want. But I believe to do to study the Bible with integrity, 
you've got to try to work within the narrative, the cohesive narrative that's in there uh, and the stuff that really makes sense to say, these are some core anchors. These are the, the anchors about from which we're going to interpret everything else in this, in this vast and diverse collection of books. For me, those two things, those anchor points, are the Genesis story in which uh, God creates the world, all human beings, all the animals, all the plants, and literally says, you're supposed to eat the plants. I mean, that's what it says in Genesis. And I'm not a literalist at all, but that's what it says. Is God's, you know, the, God's intention for the world is that the animals, including the humans, would eat the plants. Uh, and it says it right there in you know, Genesis 1, 29 through 30. And there's another part about Genesis that's re that really is, I haven't heard a lot of people talk about it, but when it's in the second creation story, when God creates a human, not doesn't really say a, a male, but God creates a human person and wants uh, a companion. That person was lonely. And so then God creates all the animals first. And to me, that says that God believes that all the animals are equal to and fitting companions for the for humans. And then ultimately the humans like, well, that's not really what I had in mind. And so men and women are created in the story. Uh, but but God had that intention that's like, yay, the, the dog and the cow and the fish, these can all be companions for you, human. Uh, and so that's one point, that anchor point in Genesis. And the second point is when Jesus is asked, what's the greatest commandment? And so we have here a place where Jesus is, is specifically asked, out of all the Bible, what would you, Jesus, use as your anchor point? And Jesus says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, which I interpret as love the universe, you know, love the spirit of love in the universe, whatever you want to define as God. And then he says, and love your neighbor as yourself. The person asking him the question then says, but who is my neighbor? And Jesus tells the story of the Good Samaritan, where to answer the question, who is my neighbor? He says, well, there's this guy who gets beat up and he's left him dead on, for dead on the side of the road. And these people walk by and they just leave him, leave him alone. They pass right by. They don't have any compassion or mercy on him. And then one more person walks by and has mercy on him and takes care of him. And then Jesus kind of flips the question and says to the person who asked him, so who is the neighbor to the man who was laying on the side of the road. And the, the questioner says, the one who showed him mercy. And so Jesus is saying to love your neighbor, you must be a neighbor to others by showing mercy. So to love your neighbor, you must use whatever power you have at your disposal to care for those who have less power than you. And I think that's a perfect um, way to say, hey, that's, that's what veganism is all about. Veganism is all about us using our power uh, that we have at our, our disposal to protect the vulnerable humans and animals on the planet. I love everything you just said, and I love how being someone's neighbor is an active decision. It's not just sheer coincidence by proximity. It's something you choose to do. You choose to be there for the person on the side road. You choose to use your influence or your strengths or advantages to help the less fortunate. So it's not just oh, my neighbor happens to be the people on my block, country, world, whatever. It's anyone and everything could potentially be your neighbor if you go out there and actively choose to make it happen. Amen. Amen. The example of the Good Samaritan also 
highlights a challenge with not just veganism, but really any social justice movement is that it's very easy to go out there and physically help somebody that's right there in front of you, knowing that what you do now will help the person or individual in front of you. So you see someone who's hungry, you feed them. That's great. They're fed. You feel good. You fed someone. They're much better off because you, because they've been fed. Well, something like veganism or really any social justice movement like uh, fair trade clothing, coffee, food, or what have you, or rights for different genders, ethnicities, things like that, the decisions you make to further those movements don't necessarily have that direct A to B correlation. So if by me being vegan, I don't necessarily see the animals I say parading around town nowadays because I haven't eaten them. It's more of a kind of large-scale movement type of thing. I was wondering if you had any thoughts on how we can navigate that as advocates or as really anyone trying to live a compassionate life in this world. That's a great question. And But it's one of the things that appeals to me about veganism, in fact, is that every day the choices you make have a direct impact on the powerless. Um, you know, every meal you eat has a direct impact on vulnerable animals, vulnerable creatures of the earth. I mean, I, we live in such an, uh, a terribly hierarchical and segregated society that we do have to be intentional about, if we, if we have power and privilege, reaching out to other human beings with less power and privilege because we've so separated ourselves. And, and we need to do that. For veganism, I mean, it really is a choice that we all can make three times a day at least. Like every time we put something in our mouth, we are having this direct effect on on those who are vulnerable and we're, I mean, if you just look at people say, you know, one, these, this one decision, I, I'm, isn't going to make a difference. But if you just look at the growth of veganism, if you look at the non-dairy milk aisle now and how it's dwarfs the dairy milk aisle, I mean, that's because individual people have made that choice over and over and over again. So I think it is, this, veganism is kind of, in some ways, it, I mean, it's hard, but it's so easy that to make a difference every day. Focus on the long game. And I am team oat milk, by the way. I love oat milk. <laughs> I'm a soy. I'm a soy. I like my soy milk. John, I think you're almond milk? I'm all about almond milk, but I, I, I'm really starting to like oat milk a lot, especially the ice creams that are out there. <sighs> good stuff. <laughs> There's so many good ice creams out there. I am not vegan for my health. <laughs> <laughs> Same. <laughs> well, I kind of am, but yeah, <laughs> it's mostly for the snacks. <laughs> Uh, getting back on the Bible, we could go off on food all day. Uh, so anyone who's read the Bible probably has inferred that there's very, very cruel depictions, not just towards animals, but towards all creatures in there. There's a lot of violence in the Bible, especially towards animals in some cases. And I'm sure you've come across really graphic examples that probably just break your heart now from your current ethic. How Are there any specific examples that leap out to you, or how do you respond to those counterpoints when you bring up your compassionate views of veganism in the bible yeah i mean the 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 people in the bible were not vegan they they had no concept of being vegan and i think that's one of the things we have to do when you read the bible is realize that that there are there are things in the bible that represent the prejudice and the biases and the cultural context of the people who lived at that time in that place and there are things in the bible that challenge us to to do better than that i mean we can look at 
slavery in the Bible. Slavery is an assumption in the Bible. There's even a story of Jesus who uh, heals a man's slave and gives the slave back to the man and never challenges the institution of slavery. So Jesus assumes slavery is a thing. Uh, and yet we then look at the Bible, we look at what it means to love one another, we look at what it means for all people to be children of God, and we say, hey, slavery is wrong. And we can take these core principles of the Bible and criticize the prejudice and biases that are baked into the Bible. And the same is true for uh, the patriarchy and subordination of women and, and so many other things. And I, I think that's how we have to approach the Bible when it comes to meat eating, you know, the, the sacrificial, the animal sacrifice system of the Old Testament. Uh, something I'm going to have to really deal with in my book, you know, lots of slaughter. Basically, the, the temple back then was the slaughterhouse of today. And to look and say, hey, that's not actually necessary for a meaningful relationship with God and with other people. Uh, and even in the Bible, there are passages that criticize the sacrificial system, you know, that look at it and say, something's not right here. And so I think there's a, a evolution that's even happening in the Bible as, you know, it was written over, what, 3,000 years or something, and people were working it out. People were saying, hey, some of this stuff that we're doing maybe is not right. Maybe we need to go on a little further. And I think that's what Jesus does challenge us to do, is to, to keep pushing it further. He didn't want us to say, you know, stop when I die, stop, stop your moral and ethical deliberations forever. Uh, he said, keep, you know, I've set you an example to keep pushing the envelope, to keep widening the circle of compassion and mercy. Uh, and so that's how I, you know, I approach those things in that way. Whenever I have a conversation with somebody about something in the Bible that we may disagree about, and they, one of us inevitably says, well, it's all, all about context. And in my mind, I'm thinking, it's 3,000 years old. The context is going to be completely different regardless of what we're looking at. 3,000 years is a long time. A lot changes. Context changes. So both of us are probably wrong in this argument. Exactly. Exactly. The, con the context changes. And, and that's why you read the Bible in community. I mean, that's why you shouldn't be reading it alone in your prayer closet. Um, you, you come together with other people who have different perspectives, and you kind of work it out together what's, what's universal and critical and essential and what's not. Argument that really sticks in my mind of somebody, I was on a bus talking to them, and they said, they are 95% vegan, but they eat fish because Jesus <laughs> fed fish to people. And that is why it's okay to eat fish. And I decided that was not a hill worth dying on, and I left it. <laughs> <laughs> I think you were pretty wise to leave that there. <laughs> I mean, that's, a, again, you say, you know, is this, you decide if you want to have that conversation, but then you say, all right, what are the, let's start with our, our anchor points and what the Bible teaches us about how to relate to each other and God, and then go from there. And let's not pick out particular passages and argue about them. Now, shifting gears a little bit to the more contemporary kind of real-world ways to navigate Christianity and veganism, I know this is known from my personal experiences in church. A lot of times the congregation is more traditional, conservative, old school, and there's ideas and principles that come up a lot, specifically things like chicken barbecues or even views on some more progressive things or more liberal ideas that are prevalent in veganism but not necessarily prevalent in mainstream Christianity. Have you had any circumstances like that or how do you navigate those kind of situations well being a, being in a church uh people love to eat 
you know, potlucks. People love potlucks. At least pre-COVID, we did a lot of potlucks. And, you know, I, I, I navigate it the way I do any context when I'm with people who are eating meat and not, not eating vegan, you know, in, in my family or whatnot. You have to kind of decide how much you want to push it. If I go into a vegan potluck, I bring a vegan dish and I make sure it's labeled vegan. And I know other people who are going to bring a vegan dish. Uh, and, you know, I eat their stuff. And, you know, if, you know, as vegans, we, we know that, you know, people are always think that we push our ideas on others. But I always find, like, it's other people who want to bring the topic up over a meal. <laughs> I'm like, do you really want to talk about this while you're eating your hamburger? I mean, I can tell you about slaughterhouses and I can tell you about the impact on the environment. Is that the conversation you really want to have right now? <laughs> so, um I usually defer having that conversation and just sort of smile and shrug or laugh it off. And that's, that's usually how I approach it. I do try to be careful as a pastor. Um, people know in my congregation that I'm vegan. I have preached sermons about it. I try to, I want to be able to, I don't want to close any doors to the people in my congregation. I don't want them to shut me down and to not hear because they feel like they know what I'm going to say about something. And so I've not pushed it a lot, even though I do bring it up. But one of the things I want to do with the sabbatical and this book coming up is find ways to integrate it more into my own faith and my own way of talking so that I can have a, a conversation and bring it up without feeling like I'm going to shut people down. So that's one of the things I'm hoping to explore. Yeah, I just know from my personal perspective, I have a lot more liberal, progressive ideas, which goes kind of contrary within a lot of the Christian circles I run in, but then a lot of the Christian ideas I have go against a lot of the vegan circles I run in. So it's kind of, it's kind of tough to find that complete safe area, if that makes any sense. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I've been probably spoiled in that I've been in a pretty, a very liberal and progressive congregation now for 15 years. Um, so I've been, and before that I was more in the conservative Christian world. Um, so I haven't been in that world for a while, I just sort of see hints of it on the social media from time to time, uh, and and so I we I am in a uh, fortunate place where we can talk about it. You know, I, I can bring it up, um, and people aren't going to just completely write me off. And people are interested in this book that I'm writing. I think there's a lot of people in my congregation who are looking forward to reading it. Uh, and so I think I'm I'm fortunate, but I know that there's I mean there's lots of the, the stereotype of a conservative Christian that, you know, is all over the news and put Trump in office and all that kind of thing it is something that I'm, I try in my faith to, to rescue Christianity from. I mean, I think that I don't want to give up on my Christian faith because so many people have misused the Christian faith to harm others and to harm animals. Uh, and so I, I keep... I keep trying, trying not to throw the baby out with the bathwater and to be that sort of good good version of Christian that I think is, is very possible to be. I always go back to the things you were saying earlier where at the end of the day, the two biggest things you can do is just love God and love others. And if you do those two things, everything else should follow and work out for the best. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, here's a question I have, a real brain teaser for you. So... Okay. Assuming you believe in the principle of transubstantiation, I believe, if I recall, that that is the idea that when you take Holy Communion, which is the bread and the wine at church, that is the physical, literal 
flesh and blood of Jesus. If you do that, is that vegan? <laughs> um, well, that is a specifically Catholic idea, and I think only Catholic. I think only Catholics hold to the doctrine of transubstantiation. Um, and I don't think so, because I don't believe it actually happens. <laughs> so, um, most, Pro- most Protestants, uh, all Protestants, believe that uh, the bread and the, the wine or the juice is a symbol. It's a symbol of Christ's love for us. It's a symbol of his sacrifice. Um, it's a symbol of something that binds us together in community as we all sort of share this simple vegan meal, by the way. <laughs> bread and, and juice is a communion is vegan if you don't think that it turns into human flesh. So, yeah, so I, I think um, I think most Protestants don't have that problem. <laughs> In my mind, I say it is vegan for the same reason that breast milk is vegan, because Jesus was consenting for that to happen back in the New Testament, and just like a mother is consenting for her newborn to drink her breast milk, it is all about consent, and so that's why I think it is vegan. So. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I guess. <laughs> it's, still, it's still kind of cannibalistic in I mean, one way or another. Yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, Catholic, there's a lot of wonderful, faithful Catholics. I don't mean to, to make fun of them. But yeah, the transubstantiation thing is, I, I bet even most Catholics don't take it too seriously. And we just <laughs> lost all two of our Catholic listeners. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I just have one more question. Quack uh, or hummus? <laughs> um Guac is a treat for me. Uh, so hummus is, is can go on anything. Um, go in a vegan burrito or on bread or dip. Um, it, and it's such a staple food made from chickpeas. Yeah, I mean, I love guac, but it's more of a treat. I'm right there. I'm team hummus all the way. I've been the only person on this podcast, I think. But now there's two of us. So there we go. Numbers are growing. <laughs> Uh, well, those are all the questions I had. Do you have any final words for your our listeners at home or in their cars? I don't know when they're listening. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, I mean, I just hope that when I, I, I hope to finish a book by the, the end of the summer. I hope that um, I don't think it's going to be the, you know, a thoroughly scholarly book. I think it's going to be some thoughts that maybe I, I even will self-publish if I have to. But I hope what it is helpful for is to give people uh, some tools and a way to access their, to apply their faith to their veganism and maybe vice versa to take their faith and realize that it, it might be calling them to veganism. I think that's the way we're going as a society and as a people and the way that we're called. I think that we were, you know, we've learned that slavery is wrong. Um, we've learned that men and women are equal. Uh, we've learned, of course, that all races and all people are equal. Uh, I think there's a progression that we're being called to in the Bible and called to by God. And eventually it's going to be that we are called to uh, care for all animals, to not eat them, to um, to not kill them, and uh, to care for the planet in that way as well. So I, I think that's where we're headed, and I hope that my message and the message of other faithful people can can help people see that. Amen. And we will be sure to promote your book when it comes out and have you back on once it's all done because there's a lot of great things to unpack. But in the meantime, if anybody wants to get a hold of you, ask any questions or learn more, how can they get in touch? 
Uh, you can reach me at my email, which is tom at govinspres.org, like P-R-E-S, short for Presbyterian. Um, or you can reach out to us through our website, govinspres.org, or our Facebook page. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for being on. This has been great and a lot of fun. Yes, thank you so much well, for coming on. You're welcome. Thank you so much. It was a great conversation, great questions. I really enjoyed it. Awesome. And if anyone else has any questions for us or comments or feedback, you can send an email to our team at BeKindPodcast at gmail.com. Thank you, everyone, for being on, and thank you for listening. Thank you for listening to the Be Kind Podcast, presented by the Animal Advocates of South Central